0: And we're going to have a discussion here, and this is a situation that, um, as we mark the two-year anniversary of Canada's first COVID case, something that has become just a way of life for a lot of Canadians, millions of Canadians, I would guess, is this whole work from home thing, which was something that, you know, if you think back a couple of years ago, it was something that some people did. Maybe some people did it a day a week or something like that. It was something that you heard about. It wasn't a completely foreign concept, um, but it's suddenly become a way of living for a lot of people. Not all, of course. I mean, there's those of us that we can't do our jobs from home. We need to go into the workplace. Um, But for a lot of people, the discovery was made that, you know what? We can do just fine from home. We don't need to be going into an office or whatever the case may be. We can function just fine. So it's going to change the way things are. And for people that find themselves in that position, it's going to be an adjustment. It's going to be a realignment. And if you think about it, when you're working from home, Um, what's the perception? When are you working? When are you not working? How do you define what is work time? What is home time? It's been a real struggle for a lot of people. And there's been some jurisdictions around the world and in our country, province of Ontario, as a matter of fact, that have tried to legislate this, the right to disconnect, the right to say, yes, I'm home. And yes, I work from home, but you can't send me an email at 9.30 at night and expect me to respond to it right away because I'm not at work. You got to treat it just like an office. It's really tough to nail down how that works because it's not the same for everybody. But is there a way we can do this? We're going to chat now with Dr. Nita Chinzer, who's an associate professor in human resource management and business consulting at the University of Guelph. Uh, Nita, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us.
1: I feel like we're going to open up Pandora's box today, so this is an
0: interesting topic. It, it really is an interesting topic, yes. and I think it's a reality for so many Canadians. It was thrust upon them, but now they're yes. living it. Well, let me help. So the stats show us pre-COVID,
1: six percent of us were working from home at least one day of the week. Okay, so that was six percent, and during COVID, so the last stats I saw were for April. Um, it was. Thirty-nine to forty percent of us. Wow, we're working from home three or more days of the week. So this, um, you know, perpetual isolation. But you're right, the blurring of when I'm, when am I technically at work and when am I at home is something we definitely needed clarity on.
0: Yeah. So now it's 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 you know it's a reality for millions of Canadians, and and that's what it comes down to, right? Is sort yeah. of helping employees find that balance and that ability to say, okay, I'm at work, I'll do my eight hours a day if that's what it's required, or whatever the case may be. But mm-hmm. that needs to be you know, sort of separated because physically it no longer is? Well, you know what
1: happened too is when COVID first hit, people felt high levels of insecurity and they also felt a lot of obligation and responsibility towards their work. So when we were first sent at home, we started working more hours than what we were doing in the office. And that set up some bad, um, you know, bad norms in the workplace where people were expected to respond at midnight and check emails on Saturdays.
0: And it's been two years. It's time to shake that bad habit and try something better. Now, we've seen some, you know, I think France, maybe Ireland, province of Ontario, have actually tried to come in with legislation saying companies cannot do this. Will that work? And how can that legislation be structured so that it might work? Well,
1: what I appreciate about the legislation is it begins to set the norm. So it's the same as when we had minimum wage legislation. When that first came out, people were like, oh, my goodness, our company's going to follow this or not. But it set the tone for what we can expect at work, and it enabled and empowered us as employees to say, wait a minute, I'm not working for less than this. So there's going to be a path of escalation if you feel that that gets violated, but it's actually, like, proactive. Employers who have more than 25 employees have to set up policy. Yeah. To say, okay, now you got to identify when you're at work and what's going to happen if you get contacted outside work. So it's going to over time normalize the same way that minimum wage got normalized and overtime got normalized and you know having a paid lunch off got normalized. These kinds of things. I think it really brings that, like, it signals for us that we need work life balance and that we are not
0: slaves at work. We don't have to always be accessible. What about the fact that when you try and legislate it in a lot of ways, what works for you may not work for me or the guy sitting next to me. I mean, it can be extreme. Like if you've got kids, your work life balance may look entirely different from mine who has no kids that I need to be. I mean, can you get it that tailor made for lack of a better word?
1: Definitely. And so that's the beauty of it, is that originally some people were saying that this is going to get rid of the flexibility that we have at work. And the article that we published in the National Post yesterday, as well as the Conversation Canada the day before, was really around this idea that we can't give up the flexibility that we currently have in order for the right to disconnect. So someone may be very, very productive at night, and we know that there's night owls, and they've already made the arrangement that they're going to be working at night. They have every entitlement to go ahead and do that and they can identify those as their working hours or that is their time where they're going to try to be productive whereas someone else may be trying to be productive in the morning or they take a break in the day and they come back to their work so the issue then comes is the policy needs to say that first we have to identify our hours and then outside of those hours we are not supposed to be accessible and you can't put those demands on us my colleague and i jamie gruman who's also with the university of guelph for pushing the envelope even further. And saying, wait a minute, let's really stop and think about the concept of how many hours we work, because that's an evolving topic, too. For those 40% of people who are working from home, are they putting in, quote-unquote, an eight-hour day? How do we measure whether they're being productive? Do we go to a marketing executive and say, oh, your campaign was successful, and we're going to determine that by the number of hours you put in or by the actual output that you created? Do we go to an author and say, oh, your book was a hit because you took 10,000 hours to write it, as opposed to it doesn't matter how long it took you to write it, it was a hit because it was impactful and looking at the outcome. So we're saying along this line, too, we need to really, if we're going to trust people to set their hours, we're going to give them the tools they need to do to work from home, we have to trust them to provide good output and
0: stop micromanaging on every single minute and hour that people are at work. Couldn't agree more. I've always found throughout my working life uh, in this industry and others, the best employers are the ones who treat their employees like grown-ups and allow yeah. them to sort of, this is the job you're paying me to do. I will do the job. And I always find that if you're a company that sort of adopts that policy and isn't you know, monitoring minute to minute, you need to be sitting at your desk staring yeah. at the wall for six hours if your job only took two, you get more production out of your employees. It's a, it's a beneficial relationship in both directions.
1: You try to find efficiencies at work and you begin to recognize the lower value tasks so rather than say a salesperson spending time doing administrative work if they can find a way to make that simpler, they could go out and be client facing and do better with their job and be more productive so our research shows us right now research out of Harvard Business came out showing that we're spending two and a half hours a day finding information if we could get more efficient finding information we can also reduce like the number of hours that we're putting in at work without changing our productivity. So let's stop thinking about the fact that, like, we're not sitting on assembly lines. We're not sitting at machines, We're not doing three rotations of shifts in manufacturing for those of us who have the privilege to work from home. So why not just measure us based on our output and stop micromanaging
0: our time? Now the other side of the equation here of course we've talked a lot about what we need to do and you can't do this and you can't do this to us. Yes. What about what a company can do and what an employee can't do to a company? I mean the com- the, the the employer still has some rights and still has some requirements from yes. the person they're paying to do a job, right?
1: Definitely and they can have those requirements and they need to be clear which they are. What's happened unfortunately since covid is employers on large stopped doing performance evaluations. So they didn't want to upset the boat. They recognized that people had a lot of uncertainty around them. So if there are, in fact, bad apples in your group, people who are absent, people who are checked out, following up with them is the manager's responsibility. The manager is not a parole officer where we have to check in with them every three months. They're actually a coach, a facilitator, a guide. If they notice that someone's not at work and they're not going to go, and hold that person accountable, then they can't later on complain and say, oh, well, you know, this person I haven't given a performance review to for two years is not doing well. What do I do? Well, the idea here is that you performance coach them. You manage them. If you need to get into progressive discipline, you know, someone who never comes to any meeting, someone who doesn't complete their work, we have to start documenting that and working on getting them either fulfilling their requirements or working on getting them out. But if manager is going to be too afraid to step up and manage us, then that's, you know, that really talks about, well, what's your role then? Why do we have this hierarchy? Why am I reporting into you if you're not even going to follow up and make sure everybody on the team is contributing?
0: Um, regardless of how this shapes out, we're talking about a massive upheaval in the way that we do things with 40% of the population now working from home. So uh, obviously things are going to change and it could get messy until we find, like you say, it'll get there, but it may be messy getting there.
1: It'll get there, but the conversation is started. Yeah. So a silver lining on this whole COVID situation is the concept that we stopped looking at people like robots and started thinking about people holistically as employees with their personal issues and their health issues and their work issues. And that's really a very liberated conversation.
0: Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. Anita, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Have a great time. You too. That is Nita Chinzer, who's an Associate Professor of Human Resource Management and Business Consulting at the University of Guelph.